We're finishing up this series uh, titled All In. And last week, uh, Pastor uh, John shared with us and the powerful story of the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus showed us that we can become channels of grace wherewith unity flows through us. We ask God to reveal any stones that we are holding against others and then hand those stones uh, to Jesus Christ. We need to forgive uh, people who have hurled uh, stones at us. I want to begin this message by asking you, a question. Have you ever been terribly alone? Even when other people are all around you. Perhaps you're walking down the street or walking around the church and, and you're totally absorb, absorbed in some personal crisis and despite people coming and going beside you, it seemed like there was no one to whom you could go for, to go to for encouragement or counsel. Or maybe you're a leader, maybe in your household, and you know that can be lonely there at the top or at your place of business where you work. And your decisions impact so many people, the pressure is so high, and sometimes you stay awake at night while everyone goes asleep in peace. And you go over in your mind the worries and decisions of the past days and maybe the decisions that are going to come that you have to make for the week. Or maybe there aren't a lot of people in your life, and there's nothing worse than feeling alone and abandoned. And the holidays, oh my goodness, they can be difficult for our loneliness. I read a study from the last holiday season that says 55% of Americans experience the holiday blues. In December 1975, Eric Carmen. He released a sad, heartbreaking ballad titled, All By Myself. And some of, here's some of the words. It's depressing. Living alone. I think of all the friends I've known. But when I dial the telephone, nobody's home. And then it goes into this chorus. All by myself. Don't want to be all by sing it with me. No, I was kidding. <laughs> you don't want to sing that here on Sunday morning. Yeah, get a Doug's back there waving the hand. But he goes in all by myself. Don't want to live all by myself anymore. Do you know that song peaked at number two on the top 100 in the United States and number one in Canada? I don't know. Maybe those Canadians feel lonelier than we do. But it sold more than a million copies within a, in a matter of uh, 16 to 17 months. It was certified gold in April of 1976. Needless to say, there's this felt need by all of us not to be alone. But many feel alone. And when you think and feel you're alone in this world, it can be very, very distressing. Can you relate? I'm sure you can. Today we're going to look at very, in a very, the very details of when Jesus felt alone. And he had a major struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. And on this Christ the King Sunday, we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords felt abandoned. And he was. 
Late one evening in the last week of his life, Jesus and the disciples were walking together. They were climbing a hill in darkness right after the Passover meal. And eventually they came to an olive orchard called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this olive tree is, is very, very, very old. And some scientists believe it goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. And this is the, possibly the place where Jesus prayed with his disciples. And now the gospel writer Mark, is, he's just so generally quick to describe the ministry of Jesus Christ. But in the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes into a lot of detail. Look at this passage together in Mark 14, 32. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before being taken away to be crucified is one of the most personal glimpses into the relationship between Jesus and His Father. Peter, James, and John probably heard His prayer, His petition, heartfelt going out to the Father. And it shows us the close relationship and trust that Jesus had with His Father when He cried out to Him in all honesty. Not only did Jesus trust God with his fears, his sadness, and his request, he also trusted with God's perfect plan for his future. Even though it would cost him his life, Jesus trusted his Father's plan and even prayed within that plan. And as they entered Gethsemane, Jesus asked all his disciples to pray. Jesus believed in the power of prayer in those moments. And he believed that his prayers, their prayers, would help him. So he took, he just took the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, just a bit further into the garden and told them to watch. Why? Well, these three guys, they're the same guys that went up to the mountain and when he was transfigured. And they had a front row seat at that time to Jesus' glory. And Peter, he was bold and he would later proclaim that he would never, never leave or forsake Jesus. He had sworn that oath, never to deny his master, no matter what else would happen as a result of what Jesus would go through. James and John had made the, blame, uh, the bold claim that they were prepared to share with Jesus whatever might happen to him anywhere. The three men, Peter, James, and John, were obvious men to be with Jesus when he needed the most support of his close friends. So the Son of God is human enough to need that support during that awful evening. And there's a chance for them to put their money where their mouths is by going into that garden even deeper with Jesus to be a prayer support group for him in his terrible burden that evening. St. Mark tells us that Jesus felt his soul being crushed and pressed with grief 
to the point of death. There's an irony in that statement. Gethsemane means oil press. And it was common for those stone presses to be right near that garden so that the farmer could process that crop so easily. And so on this night, Jesus is on the threshold of having his life squeezed out from him, his body broken, his blood poured out. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Those are incredibly strong emotional words coming from our Lord. Jesus can see that he's soon going to be suffering physically, and so he's suffering emotionally. You know, it's difficult to be strong for others, isn't it? Yet we're hesitant to reveal those moments when we're afraid, angry, grieving, or overwhelmed, or even feeling abandoned. We all need close companions, don't we? Whom we can share our feelings And like Jesus, we can ask our friends to watch and to pray. And we might have raised our hand. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've raised my hand and I've done it. I have an unspoken prayer. I can't go into any details. Just please pray for me. I got a buddy. You might know him. His name's Mark Putman. He's a guy that I go to when I need a person to pray for me. And Mark is so awesome because after I tell him my burden, he, pr- he prays right then and there for me. We need to be there for each other. We have to raise our hands and know that the body of Christ is here for us and that there are ministries of the church that are here for us and our care. Celebrate recovery, life groups, bands, grief share, divorce care, ministries for kids and teens, ARM, United Women of Faith, and so many others, just to name a few. And we have to join one of these in these ministries to open our lives in order to walk with others through our difficult times. And we can't put up walls, my friends. Do not put up a wall and shut out others from your difficulties. You weren't created to do life alone. That's why we have arms and hands, eyes and ears to hug and to feel love and to give love to each other. And we cannot withhold that love. And hopefully your experience with the body of Christ here at Anderson Hills is better than what Jesus experienced. He asked Peter, James, and John to pray, and he walked away, and he fell to the ground with his face in the dirt. He's pleading to his father to take that suffering from him. Can you imagine? What would you be feeling if you knew that within a few hours you would be tortured, publicly humiliated, and then exposed to the greatest atrocity of of having the most cruel and most humane, horrifically painful form of capital punishment ever dreamed up by a human being. Can you sense the anguish that Jesus must have felt? And this is one of the personal glimpses into the relationship with God the Father and the Son. And Jesus went to the Father with his deepest troubles and honestly cried out to him. And do you notice Jesus' prayer? He said it went like this. It moved from anguish to trust, to answer prayer. Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup, yet not my will be done, 
yours be done. He chose to drink that cup of suffering. He chose the will of his Father. And that prayer captures the essence of complete trust. It's a model for us, really. It is bold enough to lay our desires before God. Being humble and obedient enough to commit ourselves to whatever God desires of us at times. No matter what the cost. No matter how difficult. Especially being there for each other. And Jesus was all in with His Father's plan. John Wesley prayed a very famous prayer, and it begins, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to thou thy wilt. In other words, not what I want, but what you want, Almighty God. And in this simple prayer, there's obedience and there's trust. And it goes, it, it goes a long way toward bringing us peace. And as we move into God's will, more peace will take place in our lives. And I believe, believe that's what Jesus experienced. Through it, Jesus teaches us that it's acceptable to tell God what we hope and desire. Remove this cup from me, God, I can't bear it. And the final word in our prayer is, is to be of simple trust and submission to His will. Yet not what I want, but what you want. We have to align. Prayer is aligning our will to God's will. And we have to allow that will to unfold in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And like I said, it'll give us strength and peace to face the future unafraid. We often look at prayer as something that changes God's actions. And there are many times in the Bible where that happens. But there are more examples like this where we pray and God doesn't necessarily change the situation, but changes us, right? Even Jesus didn't get everything he asked for, but he trusted God's plan, as painful as it was. And in the midst of this pain, Jesus returned to his friends who were supposed to be praying for him. Let's look at this. And then he returned. He found the disciples asleep. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me even one hour? Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. Jesus is hurting so much that he has to share it with someone. And he's thinking, surely my three closest friends are here for me, interceding for me, caring for me. <laughs> nope. They are asleep. He's saying, can't you give me just one hour in my darkest moments? And I'm sure the disciples, didn't they feel embarrassed when he woke them up? They had to be. But they can't help it. But they're like, oh, sure. Oh, sure, we're here for you. Uh, we're all in, Jesus. But no. They're crashing. They're tuckered out. No more giving into temptation. We're with you, Lord. But no, they weren't. Mark 14, 39 through 41b. Once more he went, went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? And do you see the repetition? Do you see the abandonment? 
Jesus is completely frustrated. There's three strikes and they're out. Imagine the depth of his pain. He knows that he's on his way to be unjustly tried, then tortured and killed by sinful men, by the same sinners that he's going to give his life for. And surely someone would be there for him. Surely these people who he has invested his life into will be for them. But it wasn't the case, my friends. And now the time is up. Look at Mark 14, starting with 41b. Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinner. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the law, teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. After praying a third time, it must have been between 1 and 3 a.m., and Jesus returns to his disciples, and immediately after the third time, Judas arrives with a crowd sent from the priests, sent from the religious leaders. They're there to arrest Jesus. And he wasn't shocked by it, my friends. He wasn't shocked by the betrayal. He predicted that Judas would betray him. But what must he have felt when he saw Judas coming toward him? Probably a tu brute. The imagery is so powerful, even two, over 2,000 years later, the name Judas uh, continues to be synonymous with traitor. The betrayal is done with a kiss. And ironically, the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and greater love has no man than this, than the man lay down his life for his friends, was completely abandoned by his friends at the greatest moment of need. And at the end of the chapter, that last verse said, everyone, everyone deserted him and fled. In Gethsemane, we see Jesus' emotions on display like no other time in his life. And remember that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And his human nature, he needed the support of his friends, yet they couldn't even pray for him in these awful moments. And when the mob showed up, the disciples fled. And who was leading the mob? Someone who loved him. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But sometimes our friends run in the other direction. So what does this, does this have to say with unity? Well, my friends, it says to us, no matter who you are, there are going to be times when it feels like the whole world is against you. It may be a disagreement with a friend. It may be a hardship with your spouse or your children or grandchildren. It may be a problem at work. And when things are at their worst, we so desperately need the support of others. The problem is that we expect our friends to be faithful all the time. We expect them to be unified with us. But sometimes that just doesn't happen, does it? And we feel so hurt, so disappointed so discouraged but here's the here's the problem your friends are human just like you your friends will mess up sometimes 
Your friends will prioritize the wrong things. Your friends won't always understand the details of what you're going through. Your friends will sin. And sometimes they may fall asleep at the moment you need them the most. And at other times they may maybe even give you a bitter kiss of betrayal. But like Jesus, we learn from him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe you need to hear that today in what you've gone through in the past or what you're going through now. You see, Jesus went alone to the cross when he, our sins were placed upon him. And while he was praying the price for our sins, even God the Father looked away because God is holy and cannot relate to sin. And Jesus cried, Oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he was bearing our sins, your sins, your friend's sins. He did it so that our sins could be forgiven and removed as far as the east is from the west. He went alone so that we don't have to go alone. He became sin so that we can become righteous in him. Thanks be to God. Hear me clearly. Unity is important, but if you're expecting unity with other people to stabilize your life, then you're finding your stability in the wrong thing. If you look to other humans as your source of peace or comfort or wisdom, then you're going to be disappointed at times. There will be moments where you feel like you're standing alone, but I promise you, you are not alone. If you feel alone today, take comfort in knowing that you're praying to a God who knows exactly what it means to be abandoned by earthly companions. He knows exactly what it feels like. Total relation. But friend, you are never alone. And we have to stand on the promises of God. For example, in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will go with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You are never alone, my friends. You have a God that will never forsake you. He goes before you. He'll never leave your side. Do not fear. And we grab up our courage in that. And so when the going, when we go through the tough things, we need not fear because we have a God. We belong to that God. Christ the King Sunday. We remember that leadership of the King of Kings, of Lord of Lords, and that leadership carries us by love and grace and mercy and protection and strength and encouragement. It spurs us along in life's walk. Hear these words from Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And finally, when you feel broken, like you're at the end of your road, know that God's power is seen in the midst of even our weaknesses. Look at the promises of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. We now have this light shining in our, in our hearts. 
But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. You have a king that will never forsake you, never abandon you. King who walks with you through difficult times. And beloved, we have to trust that King who we live under His reign. He never forsakes you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the details as we look back and we stand over the shoulders of these disciples and look at these details of the Garden of Gethsemane. We thank you that we are never alone. Even though you are abandoned, we are never abandoned by what you have done. That God, that we experience the tremendous ministry of the strength of your own spirit, Jesus Christ. Your own Holy Spirit empowering us to live in this world to where we can face the future unafraid. And you tell us in those times where we are perplexed. I am with you, my child. And so, God, may we trust in that. Before this Advent journey, this last Sunday of the Christian year, may we truly grab your hand and do your will. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.